This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gatto, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. The Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 211 for September MMXXI. Backroll the Oracle is brought to you by Dear Reader, a Jane Eyre podcast. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network, brought to you by me, Stella. He said I was a liar. I'm not. People think you are good, but you are bad and hard-hearted. I'll let everyone know what you have done. I am a free human being with an independent will which I now exert to leave you. To marry you would kill me. I'm a badass woman. What's wrong with that? Can't hold me back. Yeah, I'm a badass woman. Just me like that. But I'm proud of that. I'm a badass woman. Dear Reader, a Jane Eyre podcast. 
Join me, Stella, as I look at the legacy of Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte through the lens of its varied and various interpretations. TV, film, radio, theater, sci-fi, erotica? Pun intended. Does Jane Eyre transcend culture, time, place, and galaxy? Listen and find out. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You can't ignore, you can't ignore no more. I'm a badass woman. That Girl the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Well, this guy, my guest this month, his dance card is always full. And I was able two years ago to book him on this particular show. (laughs) He's just ever so popular. Some call him irredeemable. I personally like to call him Shagalicious. It is my good friend, the irredeemable Shag. (laughs) Thank you for having me here today. I really appreciate that. Carol and Coco is about to freak out on your sexist <laughs> behind. Actually, I, I the background, folks, if you're just listening uh, uh, through the audio, I have the background of the first page of the comic we're going to oh talk about God. because I found it absolutely, even as me, being irredeemable <laughs> and uh, one who appreciates the female form. Even I found oh. this page to be way too much, way oh, too much. Geez. And it's also, yeah, thank you for that. It's, uh, I mean, one could argue maybe it's because they want to be able to see Barbara in proportion to Dinah, but it's like, yeah. No, it is absolutely the male gaze <laughs> on the first page of this issue, like sure beyond is. ridiculous. Oh, geez. Well, I just thought that would uh, be appropriate for the irredeemable appearance. Absolutely. That fits you to a T. Man, when when I told people you were coming on here, I basically reached out to all our, I thought, mutual friends, who knew, and said, you know, oh, I'm I'm recording with Jagalicious. Do you have any loving words you would like to say to him? Tom was like, oh, is he your co-host now? He's pretty bitter about it. Donovan said, absolutely not. I have yet to talk to him or podcast with him. He did say that you should come on his quinoa show and answer the question, what's it like to be a complete failure? (laughs) (laughs) So that's the question or the prompt or whatever. But yeah, so apparently no one has any kind things to say to you. I'm the only one that appreciates your company. And, I, and, you know, and I appreciate that you welcome me so kindly. It's hard for people like Tom and Donovan to live a life of jealousy yeah. and uh, not realizing their full potential when they see someone like me who does. Yeah. It's difficult for them. I understand. And, you know, I, in some ways I love them and I appreciate them and I pity them too. So. Well, yeah, maybe we should ask Donovan how he lives with mediocrity. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Well, this now, is actually, yeah. I was just say, if you pull back the curtain for yeah. all honesty, because I know you have some listeners that don't actually understand yeah, w- what I'm portraying. Tom and I are old friends. We've been to dinner several times. Donovan has a restraining order against me. I mean, uh, okay, that part's not true. Either way, it's a very friendly, loving community. I just play the irredeemable character. 
Yes, it is true. And it's interesting because I think we talk about this every time you're on, but when you first came on my show, which I think was a firestorm issue, when you first came on, it's like six years started, ago. I know before we started recording, you're like, okay, is it okay that I put on this persona? I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, just don't like go too out of control for my, my clean podcast. But now, yeah, hopefully, but that was good centering us because I just assume that everyone knows who you are, but some people may just be popping on to see this lovely artwork and they have no idea who you are and the context behind your character. Now I will say you, Dave Ross, I mean, really went out of his way again with the male gaze. It's completely inexcusable. On the flip side, I will say, yeah, it's hot. I mean, they're very sexy women and it's nice that they're being celebrated. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. A bit, a bit. So there we go. Let's, let's, let's put on a more appropriate background. How's that? Oh, look at that. Shameless uh, advertising. I appreciate that. Now I won't give away the date, but your birthday is coming up soon. Ah! And also my girl's birthday is coming up. Yeah. Your girl. Yeah. Barbara, Barbara. Oh, (laughs) do we share the same birthday? You do. Oh, that's fantastic. It is fantastic. So I just want to wish you a happy birthday in advance. So this is like a special birthday gift from me to you being on my oh, show. That is very uh, exciting and makes me very happy. It's the best possible gift someone could give me. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, I just have one piece of news and then we'll get into your special segment that I named after you. I know. I, <laughs> I don't know if you heard about this, but DC, after hearing Stella and Carolyn Coca and Donovan Morgan Rand and all, all, a whole host of others yell, they're finally launching a Batgirl series. I did hear. Star- yes. So starring Cassandra Kane, Stephanie Brown, and I assume Barbara Gordon as well. And it's going to be written by Becky Cloonan and Michael Conrad and artist George Corona. Launches in December 14th. Apparently, the girls, Cass and Steph, they managed to survive the dark, gritty, and oftentimes scary Gotham City by relying on one another's friendship. This is now, coming is it, from is it, Games Radar. Yeah. Is it Batgirl or Batgirls? Batgirls. Okay, cool. All right, yeah. excellent. So we'll see what that means. I'm hoping that Barbara does play a, a good role and, and continues her mentoring. I know you're not reading a lot of DC Comics right now. You actually, you can ask me about that in a bit. I'm reading a little bit. Okay. But there, Barbara has been mostly playing the Oracle role. And oftentimes when you see her, Steph and Cass, she's talking to them, relaying information to them, or they're in the clock tower with her. So they very much were setting up something to happen, which if this hadn't happened, would it just been like this terrible tease of why are you doing this to us? You have the potential right there. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. So starting in December. Batgirls, I'm super pumped about it. And I'm hoping it's not dark, dark, because when someone says dark, gritty, and oftentimes scary Gotham City, you're like, yeah, that's Gotham. But hopefully that doesn't affect the tone of the series. I mean, they could easily play off of that and show the dark, gritty Gotham and show that they're the light in Gotham. That would be be nice. It does say that it is intended for an all-ages audience. According to the publisher, it sings with the energy of the Linda Lindas rocking out to Claudia Kishi. Does that mean anything to you? Okay. Right over my head. Did it mean something oh, to you? Oh, there is a, <laughs> it says the Linda Lindas, it's in parentheses, are, of course, an all-girl preteen punk band who went viral with a live performance video earlier this year and have a song about Claudia Cloud Lynn Kishi, the popular Asian-American character in the Babysitter's Club. Oh, series okay. of books by Ann Martin. So, Sounds so fun, Sounds like you need a needle drop in here. You might be. <laughs> yes, let me drop in that song right now. 
probably but, all full of profanity and you're going to be horrified. Oh, gee, that would be really bad. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> that that is the only bit of news that I have. I think that's exciting news. It doesn't seem like I'm excited, but I really am excited. The back the back story of all of these recordings is that the irredeemable or shagalicious is Red Tornado in real life. And so he always asks me to record late at night. So I, my energy is like lower, but I think it'll get, it'll, it'll start to peak again. Get some caffeine, woman. Oh yeah, the Mountain Dew. Too bad you can't send some to me, even though you don't drink it anymore. Well, I will move on now to your segment, the Find Your Joy segment, aka Shag's Mac and Cheese of Comfort and Joy. So and this is special because I don't think you've been on since I, I created this particular segment. But what's been giving you joy in these particular times uh, recently, maybe, or even if you want to go in the past? Well, all right, I'll, I'll do one non-comic thing because it's just on my brain. I can't get it out of my brain. But then I'll talk about some comic stuff. Okay. My, my non-comic thing is uh, my wife and I are watching West Wing. Uh, the TV series. We, mm-hmm. I watched it when it first aired for like a season or two and I just kind of fell away from it. But uh, we just, we found some old DVDs of it. We've been binging it. We're half, we're almost through season two and oh my gosh, it's some of the best television I've ever seen. It is so incredible. So incredible. And now I realize you were still in the womb when uh, West Wing oh, was on TV. Are, yes, uh, have you, was. have you ever seen it? Uh, I have. Reruns? I actually watched it. I think it was last year. I watched okay. it. Um, I would say I binged it. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. It's incredible. Yeah. So that's been bringing me a lot of joy. Uh, on the comic book world, uh, you need to brace yourself. The DC Universe Infinite app, you know, I'm a big subscriber and a big proponent mm-hmm. of that. Uh, everything that DC publishes comes onto the app, either if it's digitally three months after it's published or if it's physical, it comes out six months afterwards. But I'm actually keeping up with a few different DC comics now. Current, well, I guess you could say six months old through the app. Like I just read Infinite Frontier number zero, okay, uh, which is contemporary. I just read Crime Syndicate number one, brand new, like new for me, six months old, whatever. Sure. <laughs> um, I, I haven't read yet, but I've been desperately waiting the new Nightwing series that's yes. been on the shelves for six yes. months now. The first issue is about to hit DC Infinite. I can't wait. Okay. The new Flash series, a new run of Flash stories uh, is about to hit as well this month. I cannot wait for that. I just read, um, you know, have you read Deceased? The the DC zone. No, I had no interest in this thing. Like I'm like, okay, zombies. I'm I did that five ten years ago. I'm good. I don't need any more. Whatever DC, you know. And Paul Hicks from the Waiting for Doom podcast wouldn't shut up about it, and he kept telling me I had to read it. So I'm like, fine, I'll read an issue. I read. I'm looking here on my list. I read like every single DC's comic there was. Uh, there's something like thirty comics altogether. Wow. It's really exceptional. This guy, Tom Taylor, is a really, really good writer. And he's the Nightwing guy. Yeah. Right, exactly. So uh, I read that. I thought that was really, really good. So, I, and, and then I'm in the old school, I'm actually reading the Perez uh, Wolfman Titans for the first time okay. through right now. Ooh. So, you know, Dick and Starfire forever. No, uh, <laughs> no. But hashtag Tom. Maybe I know you will be best friends. Tom and I, well, I was on his show not too long ago talk, uh, talking about a Titans comic. Thanks for listening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I'm, I'm deep in DC comics right now and absolutely loving it. Wow. I'm glad I can't wait for you to read Nightwing. I'm really it's, looking forward to it. Yeah, I love it. It's it's brought DC back into my heart. And wow. there's some gratuitous, you know, skin on display, which I'm I, I'm on board for. <laughs> The irredeemable Stella we're hearing here, folks. 
only when it comes to Nightwing, for sure. Ooh, it's so hot in here. I know. And oh. my mask this week, because I wear two masks at the hospital, the actual hospital mask, and then I have like a designer one over it. The mm-hmm. one this week is uh, Nightwing, in fact. Is it so a spot? Representing. No, I actually looked to see if I could have like a butt shot one, but there weren't any like really good ones. <laughs> I think you can get stuff printed that you want nowadays. But. I could. I did get these from Redbubble. So, okay. But it was, yeah, so it was a good one. But. And by the way, the best comic to come out in months, Star Girl Spring Break Special. Really? Have you read that? I heard of it, I think, because someone harassed, I, I saw it on your Facebook that someone was harassing you to read it and you finally did. And you're like, oh, wow, you were right. Was it, it Michael was, Bailey? Uh, no, no, it was Joe Tonello. Okay. But uh, it was absolutely exceptional. I did not expect much from it, but it is so good. Like, if you ever read Jeff John's JSA series, this feels like a return to the best moments of his JSA series. Okay. It is absolutely incredible. And I, I'm still, I read it, I don't know, a couple of months ago, and I'm still riding a high from this thing. So I highly recommend Stargirl Spring Break Special. It's super fun. And is she actually on Spring Break? Uh, actually, well, it is Spring Break, but she doesn't get to celebrate because her dad, her stepdad makes her go on a mission. Oh, okay. So, but she does go to Myrtle Beach, you know, okay. wherever all the teenagers are there. But uh, do, do you, do you watch the Stargirl TV series? I don't. Wow. You're just failing at life. <laughs> Break, break I don't back. have TV as in like cable. So I have to wait for it to come on, you know, some other thing. The CW app is free to everybody. With ads. So <laughs> okay. are you that spoiled? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Breck Bassinger, who plays Stargirl, actually wrote uh, some bits in, in the comic. Oh. She she wrote all these fake school excuses that the character is supposed to be writing to the principal of why she missed out on assignments oh, and boy. stuff. And it's hilarious. So wow. anyway. So that's where I've been finding some mac and cheese, happy, happy joy, joy. Happiness. Yeah. It's funny you say about the excuses because Tom and I, when whenever we encounter Huntress going off on missions, we always take a step back and like, how does how does this woman Ooh. do this when she's a school teacher? They don't ever right? show what I mean, she's got to be done with her sick days, her personal days. <laughs> So well, she does so much at night, funny. you know. That is true. But she's got to come in with bruises, too. So everyone's wondering yeah, what's happening. Yeah. She's a rugby player or something. Yeah. So so where have you been finding your joy lately? I recently went on a vacation with my former student, now dear, perhaps one of my dearest friends, honestly, Aww. Ellie Sawyer. And we went, uh, I tried desperately. I tried to go to somebody's lake house. They said no. Tried to do a timeshare. They had run out of time. I don't understand that. And then I was just like, okay. So I went, ended up going back to my hometown near my parents. And my brother and sister-in-law were traveling. So I used their house. I called it an Airbnb. And we, yeah, we stayed there. We hiked on Saturday. Sunday, we went to the lake and got uh, some kayaks and went swimming. And then Monday fed some carp, which is something I've always liked doing (laughs) ever since I was a a high schooler and went to one of my favorite establishments called Moosey's. So it was fun because I got to show someone like how I grew up and also just being away from work, hanging out with her, having like really deep conversations, like confession lines, as we say. So it was, I <laughs> said it was life building. She said it was relationship building, Aww. but it was great. Yeah. The backstory so, with the carp. Well, I got I to ask before you get into oh, that. Yeah, so how, how, did, how did it go with telling dirty jokes? It didn't go well. It didn't I said because well. I saw I, I know I read all the posts you posted about all this and you said you guys tried to tell dirty jokes. Right. Well, she was succeeding. Okay. Okay. So what happened? <laughs> so we were hiking. You're turning up. red. 
You watching oh, the video, you're folks. the only one who points that out to me. So <laughs> we were hiking up this mountain, and she, like a fly, got in her mouth. Okay, so <laughs> so then she was coughing, you know, trying to get rid of it. I think I made a joke about you need a speech therapist, which doesn't make sense unless you're in my rehab therapy world that I work with. She said, like, I can feel it in the back of my throat and then completed that thought by saying that's what she said. And I was astounded. (laughs) This is like the first dirty thing I've ever heard her say, because whenever I say something like mildly dirty, she's like, stop. So she like tells me to stop. So that's happened. So I was just astounded. And then we're on our way down because that was the way up on our way down. At one point, she stops us. She says, could you please say, you know, that's what she says. There have been so many opportunities and I'm clueless thinking <laughs> that doesn't, I, I haven't thought of any opportunities. So it works in almost any situation. I don't know. I tried. I was swimming in the lake. Is this TMI? I was swimming in the lake. I had to go tinkle. So I went away from her to go <laughs> to t- tinkle in the lake. There was nowhere else. I could have gotten out of shore, I guess. But anyway, so I said, Just in case you're wondering, yeah, this is TMI. (laughs) Well, anyway, people have to go to the bathroom sometimes. So I said, I can't tinkle and stroke at the same time. That's what she said. That's what she said. But I was told that wasn't a good one. It works. It works. So anyway. If you get really sick. It doesn't matter. I'm not very good at it, I guess. Well, then if you want to try another version, the one my dad uses is said the girl at the picnic. Said that's the girl what he, at the picnic. Said the girl at the picnic. So okay. instead of saying that's what she said, you say said the girl at the picnic. Okay, but that's like the PG version. I guess so, or like the 1950s version. Okay, <laughs> that would be. I should start bringing that back in. Now I will say that what we're going a, a long time on this here, but this little bit we've got going. But at work, one of we have CPR deadlines every quarter. We have to like take this little test and touch the dummies, the baby and the adult. And so the speech therapist said that she's going to go down and uh, work on the dummies. And my director, which is my boss boss, said, pump away. And I thought in my mind, that's what she said. But I didn't. And I said, um, that would have been the perfect usage. It would have been. So I said that could be taken in a variety of different ways. And she said, get your head out of the gutter and yelled at me. (laughs) (laughs) So that would have been I did text Ellie that and she was very proud of me for whatever reason. But to get back on safer shores, I was going to say, and yes, folks, this is what I bring out in Stella (laughs) at 10, 11 at night. I don't know. The carp. Do you know what a carp looks like? Well, it's like a giant goldfish, right? Yeah, it's pretty big. You might be thinking of koi. I'm thinking of koi. But the carp, they are pretty big. And it's just like there are these gaping maws that kind of Mm -hmm. come up and they eat it. So. This there's this one particular location at Bridgewater Plaza that they just swarm. And it's because people come down, they feed them bread, they have popcorn. I don't know where they get the popcorn from, but they usually dump out their whole bags and then they swarm over top of each other and kind of create this layer of carp bodies. And ever since I was in high school, I've wanted to push a small child upon the carp bodies to see if they would like float, you know. <laughs> you are the worst. <laughs> I've I've superseded you. So I just want to see like, oh, would you float? And so I've yet to do it. There were several small child childlike bodies. I mean, they were children when we went down there to feed them. But 
We didn't I'm really that. hoping the story doesn't end with you throwing a child. It doesn't. It doesn't. Okay. But no, we did feed them. I fed them from my hand. Uh, they gobbled up my fingers a couple times. Yeah, it was fun. I did it hurt? It was a big one. No, no. Ellie okay. was the one who started it because it would get past the bread to the flesh and then have enough of that. It didn't really like the flesh. Okay. There was a big one named Bruce there. But anyways, all that to say, it was a fun time. Wow. Do that does sound really cool. Desubscribed now. Uh, pretty stories. much when they saw me on the episode, they just didn't download it. But <laughs> I, I would just like to personally say thank you for Woe Man explaining uh, Koi to me. Thank you. You're welcome. My pleasure. I did want to say before I forget that I don't know if you ever watched Hot Ones. Have you heard of this? It sounds like something right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> it's about chicken wings, though. Oh, There's, okay. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. I've seen YouTube one. only. He he does interviews and they have like 10 hot sauces and they mm-hmm. increase on the Scoville scale. And so Seth Myers came yep. on at the very end. Did you see that one? Uh, it was shared with me and I saw it was 25 minutes and I didn't have the patience to sit all the way through okay. it. But I know he made some comic book at references, the very right? End, yeah. If you, yeah, if you want to get finish with that i feel like probably the last five minutes but he mentions the jli he says like the funniest comic and then uh, the host asks him like which superhero would do the best here and he's like firestorm i'm like <laughs> oh shag it's your guy yeah so anyways he's uh he's a big jli fan in fact if you look on twitter his twitter profile pic at least last time i checked is a picture of blue beetle except it's seth meyer wearing the blue beetle oh. cowl drawn oh, yeah. by keb mcguire the artist of J- the original artist of jli wow yeah. You have any uh, thoughts of inviting him on your show? Thoughts, yes. Uh, realistic perspective, uh, not so much. <laughs> you probably have to go through lots of red tape to get him. Yeah. So certainly worth a try. I, I've I've dangled it out there on social media once or twice to see if he'd bite, but I'm sure he gets you know tagged by five thousand people That's a day. Probably true. Yeah. Okay. Well, the real reason why he's on here, not to talk about stories where she she is at a picnic, but is to talk about <laughs> but to talk about an arc of birds of prey. And mm-hmm. it's kind of funny because it's just a random arc that I came upon. I thought, oh, it's been a while since Shag's been on. He said he'd do basically any birds of prey story with me. So we're gonna do 44, 45, 46. And come to find out, this this worked out really well. Do you want to like set it up, or do you want me to talk about them? Do the recap first, and then you said what? What do you want to do? Uh, well, why don't we do the recap first? Because then okay. then they'll understand why I care. Okay. And she just disappeared like a like a muppet. Just <laughs> I went. Well, I went to get my books. Uh, um, okay. I think people remember who watched this that I don't have digital copies of Birds of Prey, so I can only kind of show the camera and things. But that's okay. So my recaps, a.k.a. DC Wikia's recaps are short, (laughs) but honestly, not a lot happens really, which (gasps) will be, uh, well, oh, okay. This will be good. You said conflict is good on an episode, so we might disagree on this. That's true. Conflict is good. Uh, Although I'm supposed to say you're wrong. Either way, uh, yeah, not a lot happens. That's okay. Oh, okay. So yeah, the synopses are shorter. Okay. So three issues here we go birds of prey 44 subtitle deadly convergence august 2002 is the cover date writer chuck dixon penciler dave ross inker andrew Pepoy, and colorist wildstorm fx black canary deathstroke eddie fires green arrow and a female mercenary called Camarouge all head for the secret island which may hold the secret to a miracle cure to end all miracle cures 
Black Canary soon runs into a dinosaur and Deathstroke. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Neither of which she was expecting. And Eddie Fires is kidnapped by some Japanese soldiers who throw him into a cell. Two men calling themselves Gunner and Sarge, who ask him whether Roosevelt is still president. I was thinking when I saw the dinosaur appear that this is again apropos that you're on because the last time we recorded was JLI, was it 13? Uh, 14. The, yeah. yeah, and that had the the dinosaur, well, the Godzilla-like creature coming out from the billboard. I'm really glad that you clarified that because I thought you were going to say I was as old as a dinosaur. No, so. no, I don't say mean things. Then we have Birds of Prey. <laughs> 45, The Killing Ground, September 2002. Writer Chuck Dixon, Pencil Dave Ross, Inker Andrew Pipoy, and Nelson DeCastro, and Colors Wildstorm FX. Eddie is tortured by the Japanese soldiers, World War II era, who believe he is a spy. Camarouge double crosses Green Arrow, then later meets up with an escaped Eddie and a mini dinosaur who then track down a lab where the Japanese are experimenting on the GIs. Black Canary and Deathstroke encounter more of the island and find World War II era ships that would take the virus to various populations. And then finally, Birds of Prey 46, Cretaceous Picnic, October 2002. And we have writer Chuck Dixon, Pensler Dave Ross, Inker Nelson DeCastro, and Colors Wildstorm FX. Camarouge and Eddie Fires locate the vaccine they're searching for, while Green Arrow helps free the American POWs. Fires takes the vaccine so that it's in his blood. Oh, this is like Mission Impossible 2. He has to be kept alive and no one can take undue advantage of it. All the 21st century people then make good their escape, but the two soldiers, Gunner and Sarge, stay behind to help their fellow troops. And uh, they discover, the group that's leaving anyways, discover that in the normal world, only a couple of seconds have passed, whereas I think Dinah said several days. I can't mm-hmm. remember. Yeah. That's correct. And I think that is it. Yep. Okay. So you want to give background? Well, I'll just first tell you why I, I was uh, very serendipitous that I got to be invited on this episode. Uh, several things. First of all, these are Chuck Dixon's last issues mm. on the title. Now, I can't remember if he comes back for maybe a one-issue thing somewhere later on or something to celebrate him, maybe, maybe far in advance. But this was the end of the Chuck Dixon run. You end up with about a, about a year or so of other writers who do a storyline or two, and then Gail Simone comes on the book. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I love the Chuck Dixon era. Era it started the book. I, I was a big fan of it, so it's exciting to cover these. I love the setting. This this island that Time Forgot is what they refer to it as actually comes from uh, a very well known story in the 1960s called the War. Okay, so it's going to keep disappearing. <laughs> the War That Time Forgot. Yeah. The War That Time Forgot was a story series of stories that started in 1960. They ran to 1968. And the, the basic premise is it's just all these World War II war comics where in each case, a series of military folks uh, during World War II end up on an island full of dinosaurs. And it's it's a different story every time, but it's almost, they're so similar. It's like, you know, this time they're fighting a brontosaurus or they're fighting a triceratops. They're fighting a pterodactyl or whatever. And they're just a hoot. They're absolutely fun. And I'm not a huge fan of Silver Age stories. I mean, honestly, when I typically read Silver Age stories, it kind of bores me. They're usually bland. These are just great. They're they're in fact I posted about it on Twitter last night and just so many people came out and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I love that book. It's so much fun." So, I was very excited uh cuz I didn't remember and we're going to talk about the covers, and that's part of this. Yeah. That this that the island that time forgot was in the story. So, I'm very excited that it's in there cuz it's some of my favorite stuff. And then uh you get Sarge and Gunner, 
which are two of the POWs that are in here as well. I'm not terribly familiar with them, except for my experience in who's who. Okay. Uh, I, I cover, a, I do a podcast all about who's who, the DC comic book uh, index of all the characters. And Gunner and Sarge have, a, have an entry in there. Oh. So that's how I'm familiar with them, is from their entry. And uh, in the old classic who's who entry, it's Gunner, Sarge, and their dog, Pooch, who's oh. this white, fl- big, fluffy dog. And in here, they've, they've nicknamed a dinosaur pooch sort of in honor of their dog pooch. But it's just nice to see the characters again and that they uh, Chuck Dixon decided, you know, that he wanted to reach back and pull some old stuff and have some fun with it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So I'll first say before I, I've got two comments there. First of okay. all, I have listened to Who's Who. I don't remember that particular entry, but that probably would have just washed over me anyways because I yeah. wouldn't have had any context for it. The other thing is that... Why do you think, and this is a question now that, you know, Chuck Dixon's run is over, I can definitely invite him back on and talk about his run as a whole. But why do you think leave that towards the end of his run? Why do you think go out on this? It's weird, isn't it? You you would think he would go out on a big celebration of his run. Mm -hmm. I'm holding back some other comments. I got other things I want to say about the issues, but uh, it, it is, it does seem strange. The only thing I can think of is he just wanted to have some fun. You know, that's all, that's all I could think of is that he wanted to just have some, have a good time, play with some of the toys in the DC toy chest that he doesn't get to play with very often. I mean, does it make any sense for the birds of prey to be going up against dinosaurs and being stuck in world war two? No. Uh, is it fun? Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I can only imagine he was just trying to entertain himself as he did this story. Cause it does not feel like a send off or a celebration of everything Chuck Dixon has established here at all. So it, it also could be that he's off the book suddenly. I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'll do some investigating, i.e. ask him directly. There you go. You should. Do you know the history of the Savage Land? Did the Savage Land come after this? Do you think that Marvel cheated Hmm. a bit? Well, the X-Men came about in 1963 or 62. I can't remember. And the island that Tom forgot started in 1960. Now, uh, the only thing I don't know is if I don't remember the Savage Land started with the X-Men. I think it did. I don't remember. You know, there's this amazing thing called Google. You Google, I can't because my computer will blow up. No problem. I will do this quickly. But I will say about the, the I, I, I have to rave about the island the time. I forgot some more. Uh, so, so the concept is, it's this island during World War II that's covered in dinosaurs, guys. Mm-hmm. Just any kind of a giant, uh, giant monsters, you know, your, your um, giant gorillas, you know, anything you can think of and, of the, the old savage, you know, savage world, if you will, uh, was, is there. And really where the idea comes from is the, 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 the series of novels by is Edgar Rice Burroughs, you know, mm. the land that time forgot. That's really what the inspiration is. It's not like this is an original idea. They, they stole this idea themselves. So it first appeared in 1965, the Savage Land did. So the land that time forgot does predate it. Okay. However, I think it, as much as I'd love to say the war that time forgot is with the inspiration, it's probably the land that time forgot by Edgar okay. Rice Burroughs. Okay. Okay. Even Jurassic World, you know, yeah. your Jurassic Park stuff is based on some of that. Yeah. And even maybe the the current monster, big monsters or Daikaiju universe that Universal is doing too. Um, I, I don't know what was the uh, beginning of Godzilla. Uh, I don't um, It Certainly you could think that could have been inspired by that, but I don't yeah. know. Okay. If only we knew someone, Luke Giaconetti, who's an expert in yeah. Godzilla that could answer these questions. Daikaiju. Okay. So we're going to talk about these beautiful noto phil noto covers yes they are gorgeous so we'll we'll i will say that they all have similarities we'll talk about them individually but they all certainly have a circular theme to them Mm -hmm. uh to a certain extent so first we've got connor hawk as green arrow 
and different stages. He's doing some moves. He's flipping towards us. A really dynamic cover, I would say. Yep. It looks awesome. It's a it's a beautiful and I, and I love the background. The acrobatic stuff is very sketchy, yeah. you know. And and the final version is fully rendered, fully inked. So it's a really nice combination there. Mm-hmm. However, here's my criticism. Okay, I have a criticism too. Well, I get to go first. Oh, please. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Noto is an amazing artist. is absolutely beautiful. It would make a great poster. Look at this cover. What is this comic book about? This comic book is about um, dinosaurs and World War Two. No, it's not. It's about Green Arrow doing acrobatics. That's oh, right oh. on the cover. Oh, oh, that's oh, I thought you meant like what's the story about yeah. and how's it reflected? Yes. This right here makes it seem like he's like the number one character and it's all about him. Well, all three covers, if we talk about them collectively, yeah. are gorgeous. Yep. And yet they don't tell you anything about the story. So when you asked sure. me to do these issues, yeah, and hold you it looked up at the covers. <laughs> right. I looked at the covers. I'm like, <gasps> I don't know what it's about, but I'll do it. You know, yeah. so I, that's that's my only disappointment is yeah. not, not that I'm asking Phil Noto to draw a dinosaur. I mean, whatever, but it's I, you get no sense for what the story is about. It, it's it. There's a there was a period in the early 2000s. The comics were really bad about yeah. doing posterly covers. They didn't tell you anything about what was inside. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate when I know and it doesn't have to be Silver Age where they literally take a panel from inside and have it on the cover. But to give you a sense of what's happening is always nice. Mm-hmm. One of my criticisms that actually was a question that I want to talk about anyways, is the coloring on Connor because he's, he's white looking. But um, previous to this, I remember him being more darkly colored. His yeah. skin. And so not just the cover, but also internally, he looks like, a white man. And we know that that is not true. So do you have any thoughts on that? That's a great catch. I did not pick up on that at all, but you're right. He's definitely a person of color Yeah, or at least half. I mean, Oliver Queens is dad. So, yeah. but yeah, he is normally colored differently. You're right. Hmm. I did not catch that at all. So, and on the cover, he does look very traditional Caucasian. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we'll now, you know, on. Chuck Diction created Connor Hawk, right? And so this is, he, he was writing the Connor Hawk Green Arrow series as yeah. well. So this is all segues together there. I wonder what was going on over there, what he looked like. Uh, it would have been colored correctly over there, I would assume. Yeah, probably. The last time I encountered him, the Sutherlands were on and we did, a, I think it was a crossover between Green Arrow and something else and Bird, okay. maybe. Yeah. And I remember him being having a darker tone. So this mm-hmm. was just like, oh, isn't it? Does it look strange? Good catch. We move on to 45, which is all death stroke. Again, a very cool cover. And again, you've got the, I guess that's a theme too. So I not only talked about the circle, but you do have these movements and yep. multiple figures of the same person in each cover. And it's always the, 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 the movement pieces are always sort of singular color mm-hmm. and, and done like sketchy, almost like pencils. Yeah. And the final one is fully colored and uh, inked. Yeah. Yeah, it's really sharp. I mean, great image of Deathstroke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For this Deathstroke book. Right, exactly. <laughs> You're right. That was a good point to pull up. I didn't even uh, think about it. And then finally, we have Dinah, which wouldn't be as surprising. Had this been 44, you'd be like, okay, so it's a Dinah mission. And I think I could have gotten on board. But honestly, the image you have behind you right now on Zoom, like that would have made for a good cover, you know, to have the dinosaur and like, what's happening here? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, again, a beautiful color cover. I mean, Phil Noto. Gorgeous work. Absolutely gorgeous. And again, keeping that same theme of the circles and yep. keeping the theme of the pencils leading to the ink and color. But it just doesn't tell you anything. Although I never noticed that image behind her. 
the red circle. I and imagine then... that's the Japanese flag, but I'm not oh. sure about this one, right? Yeah. It's on there, but I'm not sure about the blue. It looks yeah. like a, uh, what are those called? A, a cog? Yeah, a cog. Yeah. Yeah, but she's covering part of it, so it makes it kind of harder to tell what it yeah. might actually be. It might actually be something we'd recognize. I don't know. Yeah. But beautiful. Absolutely. Okay. Let's see here. Where should I go? Well, I mean, if we just start off big, <laughs> the scope of the story, mm-hmm. and uh, I said the number of issues to tell it. So in my opinion, not a lot happens, and the scope, I think, is small like everyone you have three different teams going to the island to find the same thing so it seems small but when they get to the island everything expands so the scope gets bigger but i i feel like i didn't need three issues necessarily for this it seemed like there was a lot of padding but i wondered what your thought was on the yeah the scope of the story overall and then i mean maybe there wasn't padding what are your thoughts on that no there's absolutely some padding like like the first issue itself really sets up the book, tells you the story. It sets up the story. I think the first issue is is great. It's lean. It doesn't actually have any padding. I think the first issue is really good. It gets all the players on the table, but it's not, the best way to describe it is it's interesting, but not deep. Mm -hmm. It's just a great big action story. It is essentially a quit, quit texting Donovan. Uh, I'm looking down (laughs) at my comic for once. How dare you? I just know when you're, you're podcasting with Donovan, usually texting with me. So anyway, so uh, it feels like a summer blockbuster is what this feels like. It feels like, you know, you're, you're in the theater watching Armageddon or some movie that's like fun to watch. But, you know, when you get home, you're going to go, OK, that was kind of stupid, but it was fun to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what it feels. it feels like a big, big, big summer blockbuster that's exciting with lots of great action. Then once you get to the second issue, that one feels like a lot of padding. I mean, pieces mm-hmm. are still moving, you know, yeah. and things are happening. You're learning some more. And then the final issue picks up the pace again a little bit. Maybe even a little too much, too fast. But so it, it, the middle is definitely some padding. It, this could have been told in two issues. Um, now I'll argue another direction. This actually could have been stretched to six also, mm. and just put a lot more action set pieces in it. They could have done it that way and really got a chance to explore more of the characters in the POW camp yeah. to explore more of Camo Rogue betraying people. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some interesting nuggets that could have expanded if they wanted. So it could it could have gone either way. But I'm going to agree with you. Yes, there's definitely padding. Yeah. And then with Cam, you called her Camarogue. I don't know if. It's oh, Camarouge. It should be Camarouge. You're right. No, okay. it, it, the U is over one. <laughs> <laughs> the that was certainly her big issue, I think, was. Yeah. Two anyways, setting yeah, all that. Issue up. 45. Yeah. I, I really like that when she actually betrayed Connor Hawk. Yes. I thought that was really interesting. The intrigue and the espionage going on there. And then when Eddie Fryers confronts her. And, she, and he says, double cross. And she's like, yeah, he's like, okay, I can deal with that. It's like, wow. Okay. He, Eddie, he's, Eddie's an interesting character because he's such a jerk and he's so deep in the espionage world yeah. that it makes him an interesting character. Yeah. I don't, it's, I think I asked many questions of the Sutherlands when I was reading that, like, who is this guy and why mm-hmm. is Connor around him? But I don't remember their uh, responses. Are you at all surprised that, I don't know, Dinah doesn't play as big a role as she could have. Why are you laughing? It's the birds I, of prey and everything is split up. She's relegated with Deathstroke, which that's already hard to swallow to a certain extent that she they have this temporary truce and they're hopping along a lot. But she's not the one to find the antidote or, or take it like I almost feel like she should be in place of where Eddie Fires is. I was laughing because it's like you're reading my notes. Oh, uh, oh OK. It's <laughs> because my big question for you is whose story is this? Yeah, because. It's a little bit Green Arrow story. 
It's mm-hmm. a little bit Deathstroke story. It's a lot Eddie Fryer story. Yeah. And it's barely Black Canary story at all. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't really do anything. She scares away the T-Rex behind me yeah. uh, with her sonic scream one time. Mm-hmm. And pretty much the rest of the issue, she's just following people around. I mean, it's 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 kind of, it doesn't feel like a Birds of Prey issue. It yeah. almost feels like this was a Green Arrow story that needed a place to go. Yeah. Uh, which is sad, especially if it's strict this in last story. Yeah. Um, it's still a lot of fun. And I still enjoyed that Black Canary was in it, but it doesn't feel like Black Canary's story at all. And she, her mission, I think, was the most altruistic because she yep. was asked to get it back in order to be used as a, a miracle antidote. And then Deathstroke's being paid by somebody. I think it's more like the bio bioweapon aspect mm-hmm. of it. And then F- Green Arrow and and his guy is is the government. And we know the government is usually not on the up and up, like the CIA specifically. So she's the, that's why I feel like, oh, it should have gone to her because she was actually going to do something good. And everyone else, I think it was a bit shady what, what the purpose was in getting this. See, that's another example where I was saying they could expand it to six issues where they yeah. could have actually given Dinah stuff to do. Yeah. And then- are you disappointed? Was it anticlimactic that he, uh, Eddie shoots himself with it and then we don't ever know what happens? Like, this is the end. Yeah, I mean, from an espionage point of view, uh, like an espionage type story, that's fine. Because the, the, the espionage part of it, first of all, you get the blockbuster being on the island, that story. And then there's the espionage part of getting the serum. And he's got it now. I don't need to see how it resolves because I know it does. You know, it's like, what am I going to get? Four pages of him in a lab and them taking it out and putting it in a centrifuge and going, we got the antidote gone that's fine just see him leave and we assume it all worked out but you know given they all left together who did who did the serum go to did it go to uh black canaries altruistic people did it go to eddie fryer giving it to the cia you know whoever yeah i guess they would have to extract some blood from him yeah that's exactly what he even said as much yeah 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 do you think that these stories you I think already hinted at this a bit when you were talking about it, but do you think stories of this nature and of this kind are a bit too weird for birds of prey? No, I think birds of prey can cover the whole gamut. I really do. Uh, I think they have the opportunity to do that. Again, I I think they just should have given Dinah more to do, but I think that's the beauty of what Chuck set up and what Gail then launched with, you know, afterwards is they, and you can tell any kind of story in here. You can tell an action adventure story. You can tell a romance. You can tell a, a friendship story. You mm-hmm. can tell just about anything in the Birds of Prey family, and it works. Yeah. Um, because they live in a superhero world. And within a superhero world, you have every kind of romance, action, adventure. You have all the espionage. You have all those genres within the superhero genre. And so uh, I, I don't think it's unreal to be here. It just, again, I, I just wish Dinah had more to do. Yeah. And I will say as my last comment, I'm sure you have things to talk about. And I do questions is that knowing now that it's Chuck Dixon's last arc, it's sad that a conversation between Dinah and Babs is basically one and a half pages. And that's how he ends it. Whereas he did such a brilliant and beautiful job developing that friendship from not even knowing each other, just being a voice on a communicator to having them meet and, and actually become friends. And so to have them be worlds away, because it took me a little while to figure out that Babs is just like holographically there or like looking at everything and they're not actually together. Uh, and that that just be it was super sad. And then her calm link goes down. And then at the very end, I think she she gets back in touch with her. But that was a bit of a bummer if you think about it in that way. 
Well, I'm going to flip it on, flip it on you. So rather okay. than focusing on how issue 46 ends and how the Chuck Dixon era ends, looking at it holistically, how do you feel now that you've read? Uh, and actually, it's more than 46 because there's all those miniseries on the front sure, end. Yeah. How do you feel about the Chuck Dixon era? Because you came in during the Gail Simone era originally, right? Um, when you first I came in with the Gail Simone volume two era. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, was not the best. That's why I said, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, so having started there, yes. How do you feel about the Dixon era as a whole? Do you feel great about it? Is it, or, or was it like, oh no, it was just a man, right? Trying to write a woman. I mean, what do you you feel? no. No, I, I loved it. I think it's really successful. I understand why people laud it and, and love it. He is a really intelligent man. I I think he sows seeds really early on, like these little things that you don't really recognize are anything, just like this random detail, like Beeb or something, you know, meeting him online. And then it like picks up and then it, you know, explodes some other point. So he has these breadcrumbs and you don't know where it's going. And then, oh my gosh, that's what it was leading to. Great development of those women. I think that that's definitely number one. And then how he sets it up always feels like sometimes it's successful, sometimes it's not, but feels like almost like a James Bond film where there's always a cold opening mm-hmm. and then, you know, the title and then we get into what the actual mission is or something like that. Or he could fake you out and it could seem like something really horrifying is going on. I remember one issue earlier on, I guess, when you just see Dinah's horrified face like, no, not that, not that. And then the next page is, oh, she's looking at a computer because she doesn't <laughs> want to be with a computer. So little things like that where he he psychs you out. And of course, Birds of Prey number eight being one of my favorite issues of all time and just the romance there and developing Dick and Bab. So I really like it. And, and I feel like it's really up there in comic runs that I love. That's wonderful to hear. I, I adore this run. Uh, I, mean, I was on an earlier one when when... Babs and um, Dinah finally met face to face for the first time. I got yep. off of that it was crying. Even mm-hmm. when we were talking about it, it's just, it's, it was such a powerful run. I absolutely love it. I have some friends though, that came in during the Gail Simone era. And when they tried to go back and read the Dixon stuff, it just didn't connect with them, oh, interesting. Uh, which, which was sad for me. And I yeah. thought, you know, maybe I was mistaken, but I'm glad to hear a fresh view that you just really enjoy it. So I, I'm thrilled with what he did. You know, another thing that was exciting too, at the time was he was writing Nightwing and Robin as well. And so you got these three books yeah. every month that there were just every month. So there'd just be the tiniest bit that connective tissue between all three. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was obvious crossovers, but sometimes there was just connective tissue between the three and it was wonderful. And I got a chance to tell him that one time uh, at in around 2003, I guess. So after he was off this book and I just said, you know, one of my favorite eras of DC comics was reading that triumvirate of books. And I, I really, really loved it. He goes, me too. So uh, <laughs> obviously he enjoyed doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping, I guess the reversal of your friends, I'm hoping that I enjoy the Gail Simone. People speak highly of it. And I don't want to come in with any biases because I I didn't care for her second volume. And then I think people know I didn't like the new 52 Batgirl. So I'm really going in intentionally. I mean, I guess I have 12 issues or so before I even get there, but intentionally just like this is new and starting fresh. So and you got Ed Bennis to look forward to. Yeah, some uh, mo- some boob and, and butt shots. <laughs> I can't wait. A lot of that from Ed Bennis. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, you, so you so, have the floor now with comments and questions. I'm in control. Yes, So absolutely. All right. 
So uh, lots of art comments, really, because we've hit a lot of the story stuff. Okay. You know, we've already Camel Roche. Uh, I already mm-hmm. talked about. I, I, her costume is just so cool. I yeah. think her costume is a great idea. Like I'm in my mind, I'm I'm stealing the idea for a role playing game already. Ooh. I just I love the look of that. Based on the fact that they know the character, I'm assuming that she probably premiered in the Green Arrow series, which is fine. I don't think she's been in Birds of Prey before, has she? I don't recall her now. Okay. I would assume you would. Reading the issue, I, I read them on uh, the DC Infinite app okay. on, my, on my tablet. Ta-da. Ooh. And as I'm going, you can't see it on here, but going through uh, the digital coloring and everything, just some of the stuff pops unbelievably. Uh, I, I, in fact, my wife was sitting next to me and I was reading these issues and I got to a certain page and she's like, wow, that just jumps, literally jumping off the screen. It's that full page splash uh, when Dinah is skydiving to the island oh, okay. and there's all the clouds around her. Now in a newsprint, you know, that may suck up a lot of the color. It might be, it may not be too impressive, mm-hmm. but digitally, Oh my gosh, that page is just stunning with the clouds around her and she's just falling, you know? Yep. It's a great one. There you go. Yep. 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 And then the dinosaur page with the mm-hmm. lightning behind it is another one that just lit- again, maybe it's the digital coloring. I don't know, but just jumps off the page and it's yeah. just stunning. There you go. Yep. Great, great stuff. Speaking of costumes, Dinah's costume. All right. Mm-hmm. So this costume she wears during Birds of Prey, it's not lauded as a lot of people's favorites, but it is actually my favorite Black Canary costume. Uh, I felt, I've always felt like every other costume she wears is got a whole lot of sex appeal and things like that. And that's fine. It's sexy, whatever. But this is the most functional costume. Yeah. It covers everything. If she's going into combat in the jungle, whatever, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. You're not going to want to be running around in fishnets in the jungle, for goodness sake. And my second favorite costume of hers is another one that also covers up everything. The jazz, the infamous jazzercise costume. I love that one the too. Purple and well, it's blue. It's blue, black, and white. But um, I adore that. It was from the Justice League International era. I adore it. But either way, I just love this costume. But the reason I bring it up is because, unless I'm mistaken, this costume is getting phased out starting here. Okay. Uh, I think it's the next couple issues where they introduce the sort of updated fishnets look where it's a lot more leather and tough and gloves and stuff like that, that she keeps for a long, long time. Well, here's hoping there's explanation, narrative explanation as to why. I don't know. You you got kind of a temporary writer. So I don't know if they're going to go to that or not. So uh, overall, I, I think the art in the issues are, is really good. I think Dave Ross did a great job. The dinosaurs look amazing. I mean, it's really hard to draw dinosaurs Mm -hmm. and uh, they really look stunning throughout the issue. They look terrifying. They look scary. It looks exciting. Dinah's expressions aren't always great. Our (laughs) facial expressions, but the action's really, really good. And everything looks really, really exciting. I I don't know. You're laughing. How do you feel about the art? Oh, just know that you said her facial expressions aren't always good. Well, I just came across a couple where she's like, Oh, you're looking kind of like, all right. Dinah, Dinah would have it more together than that. But yeah, I, I did see an awkward, small little square of Babs. And I was like, what? That's that's Babs right there? <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, I can agree with you, I think. I think maybe some of the men are drawn, you know, better. Like oh, you think so? Looking at 46 and Connor looks pretty uh, kick-ass, as they say. Yeah, he looks pretty amazing. Yep. Potentially, yeah. But Camarouge, yeah, I would say is really designed well. And there's some pages with in, in the first issue, 44, where like Dinah's holding the gun over Slade, which looks fantastic. Anyway, just in general, I, I thought the art was really good because sometimes, you know, it's sometimes it's not. So then I, I do have some story questions here. So sure. if the island only appears occasionally, right, it disappears, like phases out of time and it just isn't there anymore. Right. And it's been lost to time for 50 years now. 
How does everyone know there's this necessary vaccine just sitting on the island? Where's that information coming from? That was coming from the prior issue uh, at 43, where they discovered where a a Japanese soldier, World War II era, had washed up. And he was cleared of the antibodies or something like so they recognize like, oh, this is the myth is true. So that's why. Ah, So someone had gotten out of there and floated. Okay, yeah, thank I you. I guess I could have told you, like, hey, read half of 43 because the other <laughs> half was Batman Fugitive. Oh, okay. The the last one I really looked at was the Power Girl stuff. Because oh, yeah. uh, I forgot, yeah, the, all the all the fugitive stuff I didn't pay any attention to. I mean, back then I did, yeah. you know, 20 yeah. years ago. When I, this thing's 20 years old. Can you Isn't that, that crazy? Insane. Insane. Yeah. So then go to issue 46, if okay. you don't mind, because this, sure. this is a visual here where I got, I got questions that okay. I can't wrap my brain around. <gasps> you don't have answers to the questions? I mean, I normally do. I'm pretty <laughs> smart, but I don't this time. Actually, I think I do have an answer. I think the artist and the writer weren't working together enough is what uh, it is. So let me know when you're on 46. I'm ready. All right. Go to page five. Although they're probably not numbered, are they? Mine are at the bottom. Okay. So see the ship in the background? Yes. Something has happened to it. Right. But the ship is tilting. Uh-huh. Everyone's diving off. Uh-huh. And, and a couple pages from now, the ship's actually sinking. Uh-huh. What happened to the ship? I believe it was the sea monster so, because Deathstroke had stabbed it in, in the eye. Right. And I think that was a fact so that it would freak out and attack the ship or go wild and, and go after it. It could be. But as a reader, should we have to work that hard to figure that out? No, I ask myself that a lot when I can't put the two like pages <laughs> and panels together. No. I mean, it, otherwise, yeah, it doesn't necessarily make sense. Like what's happening? Because there's no connection. Sorry. There's no connection down here. Like it's not, there's no ship in sight. Well, if you look on the far right-hand side of that panel, maybe that shadow is a ship. I don't know. Uh, And later on, Deathstroke does say they shouldn't fire their torpedoes at point blank range, which I guess I could interpret a story behind that, but that there's no hint of that anywhere either. So I didn't understand that. Then if you go forward to page six, Mm -hmm. Uh, there's another one, and, and this is why I'm starting to think that maybe the writer and artist weren't completely in sync. On page six, on one, two, three, four, five, the fifth panel, all the so all the POWs are standing there. Mm-hmm. One of the POWs collapses. Yeah. There's no reference to it. There's no explanation to it. There's no no nothing about it whatsoever. So it's almost like they did this Marvel style where Dixon gave him the plot, and then the guy drew it, and then he came back and did the word balloons. But he, like he missed these two major plot points, which is the, the ship sinking, explaining why the ship is sinking, and explaining why this guy collapses. I mean, there's people yeah. re- reacting to it around him. Did he get shot? Did he pass out? What, yeah. what happened? I don't and know. The Japanese officer said there will be no mercy. So yeah, potentially something happens, but but he can't get shot because Arrow. Yeah. Took out that guy. Yeah, at the beginning. So I don't know. And then I was trying to figure about the green stuff on their faces. And I guess that's the virus. Or maybe that's just the dirty. It's either virus or yeah, it's either mud or, or the virus. Good yeah. point. Yeah. But no, that wasn't that was uh, that panel. I was a bit confused about. Yeah. So, so it just felt like in those two spots, it felt like me. And again, I, all pure speculation. Sure. We don't know why Dixon left the book. Yeah. We don't know how quickly it happened. Yeah. We don't know. Maybe if it was quickly and it wasn't his decision, maybe this is part of it. I have no idea. I would assume Dixon probably left on his own, but I, I really don't know. I'd be surprised. I mean, he seems to be one of the, or I guess seemed, I'll use past tense. Like he would have been one of the big names at DC at that time. Well, he was writing those three books yeah. uh, and they were all huge. 
So, so it's yeah. But I mean, I guess people get shoved out all the time, and we were surprised about it. Yeah. Couple questions about Camarouge. Yeah. Do you think she would have survived those injuries? Yes, thank you. Do you think she <laughs> would have survived those injuries? Where are we talking? We're talking about She's issue getting shot. Issue 46. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she did get shot, didn't she? That's right. She leapt in front of to save Eddie. That's right. Yeah. Would she survive? Well, given that it's comic books, she got shot in the side and the shoulder. So in comic book language, that means you can get up and have another fight right afterwards. Sort of okay. sort of like Die Hard. I mean, it looks like Die Hard's always my uh, my go to for I guess for injuries because you know no matter how much punishment John McClane took, he got back up and fought again. Okay. So you know it, a shot in the shoulder and, and sh- inside, yeah, she probably got up and got it going. Okay, there is a butt shot for you. Did you see that where he's carrying her up? Do you really think I missed it? I bet not. Yeah, my right. other question is because you said you know that she's hot. Do you think Camarouge would actually wear a bra under that? Well, see, this is where. I, I, I'm a man and I don't really understand girls underwear. So you would have to answer that one. Well, I guess I wouldn't think so. Okay. But it would have to be, I guess, tight enough for support. But I just feel like, I don't know. The, the, the reason she's asking is there's actually an image of Cameroon with her costume. Oh, yes, down. yes, yes. Yeah. This isn't just random pervy oh, talk. No. <laughs> we actually see her in her bra. No. So. Yeah. I just wonder if how many superheroes wear bras or if it's more like support that's built within the actual span. Mm, good question. Again, and especially her. I know. I know. You think you say you're the expert, but yeah, now it's coming out. Especially with her, though, <laughs> that I feel like it needs to be seamless yeah. in order for the camouflage to actually be successful. Yeah, because it's more like a blending, really. It just it matches the background behind her. It's true. Like even laying on the cot, it looks like it's functional, that it's matching the color of the cot. Mm-hmm. So in this story, what can't Eddie do? You know, he, everything, I mean, he's almost like a, 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 not a Mary Sue. What's the hair? Is it oh, Harry Sue? Gary Stu. Gary Stu. I mean, pretty much anything that needs to happen in this story, you know, he gets tortured. Well, he doesn't give up the answers. You know, he needs to get the, the cure. He injects himself and lives. You know, Camarouge needs surgery. He can do it. Like, what can't this guy do? I don't know. It's funny you say he doesn't give up the answers when he's tortured because doesn't the isn't the first thing he say says to them actually the truth that they're like from the future. He's oh he, well he's pretty very flippantly yeah, yeah he says so you like, guys yeah. lost the war yeah yeah, yeah that's fair yeah. <laughs> no yeah I don't know I don't know much about this guy I don't care for him as a character so I'm glad I'm not reading his book oh really in full I, I found him interesting in sort of a um, I don't know like an entire. A protagonist that you're not supposed to like. Okay. You know, like I, I don't mind if a character is irritating, if it if it if it evokes some sort of emotional reaction in me. Okay. Like Guy Gardner. Guy Gardner is a horrible human being. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Agreed. But he evokes an emotional reaction in me. So sure. it's like, okay, would I want to hang out with this guy? Yeah. Never in a million years. Am I interested in reading stories about how awful he is? Well, yeah, a little bit. It's kind yeah. of interesting. You know, I, I, I'm not supporting him. I'm not supporting his politics. But I mean, I'm just saying he's interesting to read about because he causes a visceral reaction in me. Yeah. And I, I feel like I have that kind of reaction to Eddie. Like a little bit is like, OK, he's kind of cool. He's also a major jerk. Yeah. So I guess that's what when I had Gorfinkel on, he had said, like, the worst thing for a writer to do is basically elicit boredom. Like boredom mm-hmm. is the worst thing. So if you're doing anything like, you know, hate or love, those that's what you're going for. Yeah. So I guess it's successful in that way. Absolutely. Like, like here you go. Connor Hawk. Yeah. I like the character. Can you tell me anything about him from this story? 
from these three issues. Except he's attached to Eddie for whatever reason. He's attached to Eddie and he's really good with a bow. Yeah. That's all you got out of it. So yeah. this issue did not make me want to pursue a reading about Connor Hawk, but I'd go follow reading Eddie Fryer because it was interesting at least. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the name on the cover is Bird's Prey. Should have been Dinah. Now, we're really bagging on this story, and we shouldn't be, because again, I read this thing, and I had a blast. Again, yeah. it, it felt like a blockbuster movie. It was super fun to read. Uh, who, Regardless whose book it was, it was fun to read. Yes. Did you enjoy the story? I think for the most part, yeah. I was trying to piece together, like, oh, what is the purpose of this? Mm -hmm. And then missing the birds of prey feel to it. I don't think that it necessarily had the classic birds of prey feel to it, but it was, you know, a bonker story mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that I think sometimes that is, I mean, that was actually the end of this, of this story. She said, you know, long story, weird story. Aren't those the kind we specialize in? Happy endings. Yep. Oh, happy endings. Yeah. Long, long, you're right. No, it's long story. Weird story are the ones they specialize in, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's true. So, and again, it, it gave Chuck a chance to play in the toy box of some really obscure DC stuff. I mean, no one had really played much with the, with the war that time forgotten a long time. And every few years, somebody dips back into it and digs around. I mean, who doesn't love a dinosaur story? I mean, come on. They're just fun. <laughs> oh, do you have any other thoughts on this particular arc? No, I just, in general, I love the Chuck Dixon era. And I, I'm, I really appreciate the opportunity to read these again, because I don't know that I would have, because it's been so many years, but uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Makes me want to go back and read some more Chuck Dixon, Birds of Prey, to find the more, um, not formulaic, but more the Birds of Prey oh, yeah. iconic stuff that he yeah. wrote. Yeah. The last one, did you read the Power Girl issue? Uh, I, I mean, obviously I read it when it came out. Yeah. Uh, and then I listened to your recap. So I did not go back and re I read it because you did such an excellent job on the recap. Okay. Um, for me, I always felt like, I, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. And, uh, it, like, I always thought whatever happened between Power Girl and Babs was a lot worse than that. I thought like Babs like really burned her, like really hosed her over when it was more like, oh, the situation just went south and it left ever a bad taste in everyone's mouth. Yeah. I really felt like though, based on Power Girl's buildup for 40 issues, it was like, oh no, Babs did something bad to this girl. Yeah. So you thought it was maybe somewhat anticlimactic what the real reason was? Uh, I mean, that's that's probably too strong of a phrase. It's okay. just not what I was expecting. You know? yeah. so let's put it that way. I wasn't like, oh, man, that's all. It was just, you know, I expected something really. But at the same time, you know, if Babs did do something absolutely unforgivable, it'd be hard to accept that that's Babs, too. Yeah. You know, it would be. Yeah. Did you would you find that believable since you've been doing Justice League International, blah, blah, blah. And I never knew that she was superpowered and then depowered. Do you think mm -hmm. that this would have happened to her had she not been depowered? Uh, well, I, without remembering enough, because you mentioned that on the episode, without remembering enough of the specifics, uh, I mean, certainly anyone at Superman level would have an easier time with any of the missions. Yeah. But uh, I, I don't think I remember intimately enough to know to answer that question. Okay, that's okay. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not a real story that she lived through. It's a story the writer wanted to tell. So even if she was incre incredibly powerful, if Chuck wanted to tell that story, he'd still find a way for it to go south on her. Because you can still tell a story where Superman doesn't win. So Do you think that she drank Diet Cola? <laughs> oh, my gosh. We're not going down that route. That is a horrible era of the Justice League that we do not wish to revisit. Uh, I, I didn't even know until Dr. Swartz mm -hmm. Levine. Swartz Levine? Jennifer Schwartz Levine, Dr. Jennifer Schwartz Levine. Yes. Levine. Yep. Yeah. The brilliant Dr. Jennifer. Jennifer. Yes. How she mentioned that. Was it Diet Cola? 
Yeah, th- fine. I just said we weren't going to talk about this. You're, you are the now worst. people want to know what it is, but it's sexism. bad. It's it's horrible. I know. Well, so, I I hope to get Carol and Cook all fired up. So in the Justice League International era, after the era I'm covering, because when I when when Giffen and Dimitrius leave the book, I'm not covering it anymore. So in no. the era after that. Uh, there was a writer who shall not be named, who's done some terrible things that's in prison right now. And the same he, writer that we did. Yeah. Oh, so okay. he took over as the head writer okay. and he developed a storyline where part of the reason Kara was so hard edged and angry all the time was because diet soda was making her mentally unbalanced. Yeah, of course. Is it just, there's so, in fact, I was going to say, there's so many things you could write, write a paper on that. It's so wrong. And that's what Dr. Jennifer Schwartz yes, did. She did, she yeah. presented a paper on that topic. And so, yeah. I'd like to read that. I wonder if I emailed her, if she could send me a copy. You can only ask and find out. It's true. She's wonderful. She is wonderful. Yeah, mm-hmm. I enjoyed that episode. Uh, well, I think I'm ready to rate it. Are you ready to rate it out of 10 butterfly eating dinos? Okay. Pooches, I guess. Out of 10, eating pooches? Out of 10 pooches. So are we doing it by issue or overall story? Overall story. And am I rating it at, well, I tell you what, who's going first? <laughs> I usually allow the, the, the guest to go okay. first. Okay. As a story, I'd rate it probably seven and a half, eight okay. butterfly uh, pooches. Yeah. Uh, for funness, if I were rating it strictly as a birds of prey issue, it would get a lower score because it's, yeah. but as just a fun read, seven and a half, eight, eight yeah. butterfly or pooches. Yeah. I think I might just go a bit lower and, and do seven, but I would agree with you that story wise, if this were like any other book or like green arrow or something, you'd be like, Oh, okay. But because it's birds of prey, I think there is, there's something missing there. Yeah. I mean, there's still espionage. There's still surprise. There's still betrayal. There's still lots of, you know, jungle action. I mean, a, a lot of the elements are there, Birds of Prey. It's just, again, it's the Dinah part. It's just who didn't get it enough is. of a starring role. But that's okay. It's still fun. Yes. If, if it had been called the Island the Time Forgot miniseries, then it would have been perfectly fine. Yeah. Wow. Are you surprised that it doesn't have that subtitle or anything? I don't remember. D- does it not? I, I, I'm having to flip back to the front. Did they not call the storyline anything particular? Mm, nope. Do they even give the issues name? Oh yeah, here they we go. Do, Cretace- yeah, yeah. yeah it, it, I guess it would have worked if they called it, you know, the, well, the island that time forgot or something like that. Or even like an editor's note. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is da 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 da. Yeah. I'm not disappointed or anything, but yeah, it, oh, no. it, it could have done. Yeah. There's actually because- a mini. There's a mini series about five or six years after this called "The War That Time Forgot" that takes place on this island. And they brought together all these different uh, adventure characters from different time periods, like Enemy Ace, I think the, maybe the Silent Knights in there. I can't remember exactly who else, but they brought together a bunch of different characters from various time periods of DC history and dropped them all on the island that time forgot. So it was fun. I was just looking at the letters pages and King Jason seven at AOL.com says, don't break up Barbara and Dick. Please have them start talking once again and continue their romantic romance. Nightwing and Oracle make a special couple. Oh, we're seeing some of that now, aren't we? <gasps> we are. There was a kiss that was shared. I always like to pause and zoom in on it like a voyeur. <laughs> I thought you just did that with the Nightwing butt, butt shots. Oh, absolutely. Did you see that one scene uh, Nicola Scott did and like people were so thirsty for it? And remember, she, he was in the shower. He was what, in the what book are you talking about? People thought, oh, what was that in? That might have been in Batman. This was before his Nightwing. Unless it was an end of 
the previous arc, Nightwing. But yeah, so we're talking contempt current stuff. You're saying. Yes, it was current. Okay. And people all thought that it was a cover. And she's like, no, it's not a cover. This is just interiors. And then she was selling it. I went on her thing to think, to see like how much would this be? Considering, you know, maybe I could get it, put a frame, put it above my bed. But, <laughs> oh no. But, um, oh, my camera went off. Interesting. I, but, I, I don't um, want to know what's happening when the camera's <laughs> off right now. I don't know what's going on. It had um, had enough. Oh, here we go. Uh, it may may have. Uh, now I lost my train of thought. Oh, it was sold out and also super expensive. Well, what you do then is you just get the the final copy digitally. Yeah. You get it blown up to poster size, then you can hang it over your bed. That's true. Yeah, on the ceiling. Yeah. Now, see if it had been Dick and Babs in the shower together, Oof. we might be talking. Then my nose would have been bleeding. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay, oh, it's, get, it's getting it's getting dark here. Late it night, is folks. getting dark. See what this happens is, uh, when we get towards midnight. Batgirl to Oracle after dark. Dun dun dun. Could you imagine? I don't even. That's what I imagine all dear readers going to be right when we get to that erotica episode. Yeah, that's the only episode that you're going to listen to. The only one that Tom's going to listen to. Wait, I thought I was on every episode. You're on every episode. I thought, yeah. <laughs> Did we agree to? Have you even read Jane Eyre? I no. think I read the cliff notes in high school. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> oh, geez. So Go that's on. Dear yep. Reader, a Jane Eyre podcast on the Fire and Water Podcast there Network. Is. Yes, I finally joined. It took years and years, money and money, and I got my name on there. Also, Six it's a limited series. Years for now until she figures out how much fun she's having and then does some yeah, other we'll series see. after that. Oh, geez. Let me tell let me tell you, friends. The time I've spent with Shag on the best days of her life, a weekend. And then there was some other thing like going through setting up a podcast is hard. Yeah, I know. It's because you, you've always had producers before now. Yeah, I know. I barely do anything. And now mm-hmm. it's like, oh, well, at least I think everything's done. So now I just need to record and see, folks, the way this works is Stella is what's known as the talent. And she has people who do things for her. <laughs> That's true. She can't be bothered with setting up podcasts. She can't be bothered with having her own Netflix subscription. She can't be bothered with any of this stuff. People just do all this stuff for her is how this world world works. So I stood my ground and mm-hmm. insisted, no, Stella, if you're going to be part of our network. You've got to do this yourself. Yeah. And uh, she did it. I was proud of her. It only took like eight days to get you know five minutes worth of work done. But oh, five minutes that one weekend, weren't we on for two hours? <clears throat> That's not my fault. Feed burner was broken. Feed burner was insane. Yes, it was broken. Yeah. But yeah, I'm getting some people at work. I don't normally tell people that I podcast because they kind of look at you strangely uh, at work. Anyways, Cert, my friends obviously understand and, and more, more, more excited. But there are other two people that listen to podcasts and they really love Jane Eyre. And so I've thanked them for their download numbers. So maybe I'll have 10 listeners. There we go. So what you need to say from now on, you just say, oh, it's like mur- uh, only murders in the building. And they're like, oh, now I know what you're talking about. I don't know what that is. What's only murders in the building? Surely somebody has given you their Hulu subscription you can log into. Uh, It's a new show on Hulu with Steve Martin, Martin Short. And oh my gosh, uh, I'm blanking on her name. Selena Gomez. And uh, it is amazing. It's a wonderful, wonderful show. And there's uh, somebody has been murdered in their apartment building and they're investigating it, but they're doing a podcast about it. So oh. it's, it is hilarious. It's a, it's a, it's a mystery and a comedy at the same time. Okay. I mean, funnily enough, I don't own my Hulu subscription. 
See, I told you folks, she can't be bothered with doing any of the work. She just, you know, she uses other people's. Nor Disney Plus, nor HBO Max. The only thing I do is Amazon. This is what all the adoring men who listen to the podcast do. They just throw Stella all their logins. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. I do. Thank you very much. Her legion of uh, little male followers. (laughs) Oh, geez. Well, because you won't be on for the modern tales... Do you, are you reading anything that you would like to recommend? Well, I kind of did that already, right? At the beginning. But you're not reading any book books? Oh, books. Oh, physical books. You work. You go to the beach every day. Not every day. Just most. Every time I long on Instagram, I see your hairy feet and (laughs) uh, the sand, waves, and a book. (laughs) Do you know why I post my feet? (laughs) Because it irritates other people. It's really, it's a picture of a book and I just make sure the feet are in the background because it drives other people nuts. I don't care. You could um, have a legion of like foot fetishers following you, you know. I'm just waiting for somebody to pay me for that. Uh, I'm reading a book right now. I don't know that I want to endorse it because it's only just okay. Uh, it's called The Price of Time. It's by Tim Tigner. Uh, I, I tried this on a whim. Kindle recommended it to me. Mm. It's, it's a thriller. Yep. Uh, it's a modern thriller. Uh, it's about these immortal people and what they do in society to hide their existence. And it's interesting. I, my, the only reason I'm a little hesitant to recommend it, I'm only 43% through it. And while the premises are strong, the writing's kind of like middle school level. So it's not terribly mm. complicated to read, but it's fine. It's, you know, it's passing the time. Mm. I, unfortunately, I spend most of my time reading movie TV tie-ins. So I read a lot of Star Trek books. So And Doctor Who's It's What's And Doctor Who, Doctor Who's What's It's. That's exactly right. Maybe one day I'll watch a Doctor Who. You should. Maybe. You should. I saw, Folks. I think there's one. I think maybe the female version is on HBO Max. The female version. You're. Do you understand the damage you're doing to your gender? I mean, it's not the female version. No, the other ones were male. Jo- okay. Jodie Whittaker yeah. is the doctor. Uh-huh. Judy Whitaker is not the female doctor. That's that's just belittling her effort of what she's putting forth as the character. Jeez. She is an actor yeah. who is playing the character of the doctor, regardless of her gender. She's doing a phenomenal job. Did she have a male version of the the barmaid? You, you know, their little about? their little like handmaiden that's with them all the time. Talking about the companion? Yes, that's correct. She has three companions. Uh, she, two two male, one female. Oh wow. Wow, yeah. she has three. Yeah. Does that make her the best doctor of all? Some people might say so. Oh, here's a book I can recommend. Okay. Yes. Uh, I just finished Firebird by Jack McDevitt, science fiction book. He does these great stories. They're like future space archaeology stuff. Uh, this is like, I don't know, the sixth or seventh book in the series. Very good. Very exciting. Uh, if you like sci-fi and you like a little bit of hard science in your stuff where mm-hmm. you know it's a little bit of crunch in the science fiction, can't recommend Jack McDevitt highly enough. Okay. I appreciate that. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for this 18-hour podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, everyone said that that it was going to be that long. Where can people find you and support you? Uh, please head over to the Dear Reader at Jane Eyre Podcast Network. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's my plan is to take over your podcast network. I see it. I see it. Totally see it happening. The Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm on a number of shows over there, such as the Justice League International Wahaha Podcast, where we talk about the Keith Giffen and J.M.D. Mateus era of the Justice League. Uh, I'm on the Who's Who Podcast, where we talk about the series Who's Who from DC Comics. We've been covering that for 10 years now. 
going through all the who's who we're up in the towards the end of the loose leaves now from the 90s i'm on the aquaman and firestorm podcast that's what started the whole network talking about those two characters uh digest cast and lots of other stuff that i make appearances on so just head on over to the fire and water podcast network you'll find me you're all over it in every episode of dear reader yes that's what the girl at the picnic said (laughs) close said the girl at the picnic (laughs) It's not that complicated. Um, I know. <laughs> Make it, write it on an index card. <laughs> oh, and then pull it out in like yep. special moments. It has been, I mean, I'm not surprised, but it's been fun and a pleasure. Yep. And I'm glad you got to come on. And it was serendipitous, I think, as you yep. said, that this happened. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to uh, whatever I show up on next with uh, on Back yeah. Oracle. Who knows what it'll be? Do you think you'll ever come on Required Reading with Tom and Stella? If it's a book that's at eighth grade level, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Well, we could do The Outsiders with you. No, there we go. <laughs> that might be an eighth grade book. Stay golden, okay. Pony Boy. Stay golden. Nothing gold can stay. Well, when I come back, I'll be alone, sadly, but I'm going to cover some modern quickies, including stuff from Batman, Nightwing, Batman Urban Legends, and Joker. So there's a lot going down this month. But first, we have Zias's Radio Hour. That's how you pronounce it, right? Zias's Radio Hour <laughs> featuring Fear by Blue October. And please note, folks, Stella said she can't say anything dirty, and yet she just said quickies and going down in the same sentence. I don't think I said going down. You did. (laughs) Goodbye. All my life, been running from a pain in me, a feeling I don't understand, it's holding me down. So rain on me, underwater, all I am Getting harder, a heavy weight, carry around Today, I don't have to fall apart I don't have to let the damage consume me My shadows through me Cause fear in itself Will reel you in And spit you out over and over again Believe in yourself And you will
damage consume me and my shadows see through me cause Presenting now with the Bad Girl shirt. It is officially Barbara Gordon's birthday and also Shagalicious. So, Felique MDM Natalem for sure. I just have a bunch of quickies to get through. Lots of fierce state stuff going on. Babs popping up here and there. I'll spend a little bit of time on Nightwing, but for the most part, I would consider them quickies for sure. So first up, we have Batman Fear State Alpha, writer James Tynion IV, artist Ricardo Federici, and colorist Chris Sotomayor. The event over a year in the making begins. Fear State settles upon Gotham City, and no one is safe. Overwhelmed by the dual threat of the Scarecrow and Peacekeeper Zero One, Batman and his allies have been one step behind since the events of Infinite Frontier Zero, number zero. And with the arrival of a mysterious anti-Oracle and the return of Poison Ivy, Batman might have more than he can handle. So Babs is with Cass and Steph. She's ready to send a message to Gotham, basically to calm them as Oracle and reassure the city when someone actually hacks her slash the clock tower and... As Oracle, as this person is saying, their Oracle tells everyone that Batman is dead and the only one who can save them is themselves. And we're now calling this the anti-Oracle 
We then go to Batman 112, The Cowardly Lot, Part 7, writer James Tynion IV, artist George Jimenez, and colors Tomu Mori. A story over a year in the making and set into motion with Infinite Frontier number zero. Fear State begins. Batman played into the hands of the Scarecrow, who has unleashed a coordinated attack on Gotham City through his manipulation of Simon Saint and Peacekeeper 01. But there are other forces at work with the emergence of an anti-Oracle spreading fake news. Wow. Across all channels and inciting terror and violence on the streets of Gotham. And there's also a backup with Clown Hunter, which I can skip, but Batman actually gets laid out by Cass. He appears and then she just flips him over. And then he gets caught up by the back rolls as to what's been happening while he's been going insane, namely the anti-Oracle and that message or their message to the city. And finally, we have Batman 113 Fear State Part 2, same creative team as part one Ghostmaker reveals a dark revelation about his past connection to Jonathan Crane while Batman puts together the pieces of Scarecrow's master plan using the unsanity collectives technology the villain plans to detonate a fear bomb in Gotham City and then the backup is with Clown Hunter as well the anti-oracle message is still playing and causing fear throughout Gotham and Babs is frustrated she can't shut it down you just really see her slam her fist down on the table. I feel like because we have yet another Oracle or anti-Oracle or faux Oracle character coming in, this seems to be a hint or a clue that that might be what Barbara is going to be doing from now on, because of course she wants to reclaim her name and the technology. And the best way to do that is to eliminate the other person and become that there so that there is no void. And I think this is also, I feel like there are hints also with Nightwing, just with her suiting up potentially for the last time. And there's, there's some strong, not subtle hints about this. So I feel like this might be it, whether she has her spine or her abilities to walk or not. It seems like we're ushering in Barbara as Oracle full time. That's what I'm thinking with all of this stuff. Then we have Urban Legends number seven, Hunted, Hunter or Hunted specifically, this story. Story and art by Guillaume Singlin. And in Future State, Cassandra Kane just wants a moment to enjoy a hot meal, but the magistrate's pursuit of her is relentless. And I did want to at least screen share and go through a couple scenes with you guys just because I thought this was really fun. Just the art, I think, is really unique. I'm trying to think. It looks... Oh, I do actually know. Oh, I wonder if it's the same artist. There is a similar art style that I've been reading. Occasionally, it will pop up from time to time in the modern Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series, and it seems similar to that. But just, yeah, just the fact that in almost a Studio Ghibli or... Samurai Shampoo or Cowboy Bebop sort of way. She just wants to enjoy a meal and it just doesn't happen for her. They all come up. It's also Samurai Jack. Like it's got a Samurai Jack feel to it as well. She's eating. There's everyone coming up behind her. And she's like, give me a break. Can I have one meal? And then chase sequence fighting, if necessary, more defensive, I would say, than offensive. 
But I think it it showcases Cass's abilities and the fun also, I think, that you can have as a storyteller with Cassandra. And you don't need, again, you don't need words on a page necessarily. And I think that only works, though, if you have a great artist. And because the storyteller and the artist are the same, he knew from himself what he was going to do. And I think it really shows in this in particular, which is great. And then of course, Batman pops up at the end, but yeah, it's just a lot of fun. I would say, Oh, look, even Batman, Batjerk actually uh, smiles and says, Hey, follow me. And then we've got a, a fun little thing. And then also her costume, which is, I feel like it's slightly different. It almost feels black bat esque but i i do love the the trail that she has with the almost ms marvel the kamala khan ms marvel with the i don't know the scarf or just that material that's floating in there so just yeah super fun story not a lot necessarily happens but i think it's beautiful and it's fun and i think you get to who Cass is from there Next up is Joker number seven, writer James Tiny the fourth, artist Guillaume March, and colors RF Prianto. Très bien. The Joker visits Paris. Gordon must get to Joker ahead of the Samsons, but has the clown prince set an ambush for his pursuers. Plus, Barbara fights for her life after her introduction to the new Talon. Punchline backup, the search for Kelly Ness, Punchline's former friend, who is also in Blackgate Penitentiary, begins. Oracle is communicating with Julia Pennyworth, who is in Santa Prisca. And then in the clock tower, Babs has been up all night doing various Oracle things when Steph pops in and tries to help slash manipulate her way into a trip overseas. And their object of surveillance, Cressida, looks directly at the camera and talent suddenly attacks in person. Barbara's gear and computer is sabotaged, but she does throw a battering and then Cass arrives to fight Talon and he flees after a beating. And then the girls regroup and realize it was all distraction for Cressida to leave without notice. I think this one I will share as well just to see a couple things. And it was interesting to see Julia Pennyworth again. I thought that she had died, but I might be (laughs) perhaps I'm wrong, but just the way they present her. I thought was really interesting. Number one, it's, I can't, I need to stop saying interesting, but it's been a while, I feel, since Barbara and Julia Pennyworth have interacted. And then, of course, this way you've got, or this presentation was pretty cool, 60s style, and saying the name is Pennyworth, Julia Pennyworth. Okay. So if we go to the clock tower to look at that a bit. Steph, sorry, Steph presented well, saying morning, Babs being a bit disgruntled, which perhaps she's getting back into that uh, grunyona or (laughs) a bit of a curmudgeon role. But, you know, it's like three in the afternoon, but she's definitely still going. We're, We're bad people. That still counts as morning, doesn't it? And yeah, Steph just trying to, I guess, help to a certain extent or or lighten the mood and Babs is just not on board for that since she's been dealing with a bunch of stuff and coffee's out the devil's juice and then Talon attacks quickly disposes of Steph which is interesting Babs I don't know what she was planning on doing well when I look at that case and see how she says, you know, her gear was sabotage, I, I meet my eye immediately goes to the top half of her outfit. And I thought you're really going to take time to change, but also her utility belt and 
her gun, her Cooper ring, if that still exists, is there. So that's probably why. But she quickly recovers and does that. And uh, then Cass arrives splendidly. I think it's pretty cool. She's getting some good traction this episode and this month, Steph is, or Cass is. And then she's the one who takes on Talon, which makes sense. But I wonder what that says about Barbara, that Barbara... Is Barbara only as good as her tools and her tech? That's a little disconcerting, isn't it? But if I do look at fighting, I do think that Cassandra is a better fighter than Barbara Gordon is. But it's just kind of sad that both Steph and Barbara were taken out pretty swiftly. Steph really easily, which kind of, I guess, makes sense in terms of if we look at tearing them in in terms of fighting. And then Barbara is quick-witted and she gets something in, but it's really Cass is the one that can go toe-to-toe with Talon. So there you go. And then they regroup, of course, and which is always nice to see all of them and <laughs> together. And we're going to be seeing a lot of them with the upcoming Backrolls book. And then finally, 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 we have Nightwing 84, which is Fear State Part 1, writer Tom Taylor, artist Robbie Rodriguez, colorist Adriano Lucas. When the Bat family receives misleading information and incorrect directions from Oracle, one's Babs didn't send herself, they realize Oracle's system has been hacked. But who is powerful enough to break into Oracle's own super secure network? And what personal information is now at risk? Not only that, this mysterious anti-Oracle is taking advantage of Gotham City's state of fear and has bombarded the city with falsities, spreading even more fear. With the Bat Team's comms unreliable, Nightwing heads to Gotham to find the source of anti-Oracle's transmissions. What about Oracle, even though she doesn't pop up until the very end? Okay, so a couple of things. I do have to say that we are going old school with Clancy. Clancy has returned. I don't know that she's been around with Rebirth, I guess, or the previous run, but boy, Tom Taylor bringing it back. Old school, Chuck Dixon, Clancy. Pretty interesting. The art threw me off a bit. I might pick a a different page to look at. Maybe this, for instance. The art threw me off a bit just because I've been used to Bruno Redondo. But Robbie Rodriguez, after I oriented myself, I really like Robbie Rodriguez. He consistently was the artist for Spider-Gwen, Ghost Spider, all that, the Gwen Stacy stuff over in Marvel. And I like his style. And so I think it fits. I think it's it's really different than Bruno Redondo. I think I feel like Bruno, Bruno Redondo has a really clean style where everything is very distinct and separate. And Robbie Rodriguez, I feel like, is kind of like punk rock style, if I were to describe it. Just sort of like lots of colors, which I know we've got a colorist, of course, but lots of dynamism and movement, just movement everywhere. And I think even like movement within the lines themselves. So less clean, but I think like it's got the, the rock there. Okay, the other thing, let's see, I did, there was a bat jerk situation here. Yeah, a trap, come on, Nightwing. Oh, man, yeah, isn't that pretty cool? That's just something you wouldn't necessarily see, I think, from Bruno Redondo, where you, uh, I'm, I'm on the page, it says page 13, where Batman's actually coming down on onto a perp. But let's see here, there was a couple positive 
situations here with Batman. They're having this discussion and, oh, uh, you're needed in Bloodhaven. So Batman's just wondering, why are you in Gotham City? And you're doing and dot, 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 effective job in your new home. And so effective basically from Bat Jerk uh, is, you know, as good as it's going to get. And even Nightwing in his narration box says an effective job that's practically gushing praise from Bruce. But he, Nightwing, wants to keep on helping, which makes sense given that it's Dick Grayson. The anti-Oracle business is coming up, so that's going to be the the mission. He even says, I'm sure Barbara will value having you at her side, so Batman knows what's up. And Dick thanks Bruce for helping him out there. And Bruce says, I know you could have handled that situation alone. Dick says, maybe, but it was still appreciated. And... I guess that was the, the the alley, if you know what I'm saying. And then he says he wasn't going to let that happen to his son. But yeah, there was just nice moment from Bat Jerk and between Bat Jerk and Nightwing, which I really liked. So then, of course, he goes to the clock tower. He updates Babs. She wants to find out who hacked her system. I will say that this one panel, I'm on page 21, where he actually, he's actually in there and says that, This anti-Oracle lured him to certain death. And she says, what? Are you okay? The panel, the art itself does not fit how that line is being delivered and what is being delivered. She's just calm as a cucumber. She could have been saying anything else. Uh, Just more facial demonstration or maybe a mouth open like, what? Are you okay? And yeah, so she's had it. She's had it. She gets up from the chair, the proverbial and literal chair. And she's deciding she is going out there. And Dick says, you know, we can do this low tech radios only. And you stay here and and I do the legwork there. And she's like, absolutely not. Uh, These people, the system I built is being used to hurt the city and my friends, my family. And so she is gearing up. And then we have the revelation, which, of course, we already saw, but the actual revelation in context or in situ here with this particular suit. The suit, now this is interesting because Bruno Redondo is the one who designed it. And then, of course, we have Robbie Rodriguez's interpretation of that particular design. And in that case, those two don't necessarily match. I would say that it looks with his extra lines, his punk rock art style looks like it's a bit baggy, but It's just something to get used to, I think, especially just this outfit itself. And it's interesting that she has a bow staff as a side weapon. Normally, she doesn't really necessarily have weapons or defensive armaments with the, you know, extremist sticks potentially when she's Oracle. But this, yeah, it's it's almost like an amalgamation of or maybe that's not the right word, but. Almost, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. So Barbara Gordon, now Batgirl, is in a Nightwing book. So she's going to do as Nightwing does, which is have a bow staff potentially. And it seems to be made from similar similar weaponry as Dick's since it looks like there's a connection going on here at this bottom page of 22, where it looks like two pieces are actually together. And then she's got that. So I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully, I mean, this was the revelation, the Bosaf and everything, but it would be nice in Nightwing 85 that there might be some sort of explanation. I don't know if people would find that boring, but I think it would be 
number one, interesting, and number two, worthwhile, and number three, necessary to explain, hey, what's up with this costume? Why the bow staff? That kind of stuff. So here is hoping. But yeah, this is her fight. So that's why, again, I was saying page 22, I said it was not subtle that something may happen. So he actually says when she's back changing and saying, no, I'm coming with you. He says, Babs, there's a hostile army on the streets and you have experimental technology holding your spine together. Just tell me what to look for and where to look. And so throwing that out there, I mean, unless you're a terrible writer, which Tom Taylor clearly is not throwing that out there, I think you've got to make something happen with that. So you don't just throw out, Hey, there's this, remember that stuff that's going on with your spine, unless something is going to happen. I think basically that's like a Chekhov's gun situation. So with the anti-Oracle with her trying to stake her claim and will reclaim what has been taken for her. And also this might be her last ride. So I feel like last ride for Batgirl Oracle full-time after fear state. So that is my guess. You can quote me on that. Okay. So lots. That was probably the most that I've done in a while of quickies and modern stuff. I'm excited for December when I can pick back up and do an actual book with the back roll. So that'll be really exciting. I did forget last month, episode 210, that there was a Batman Secret Files Huntress and Barbara appears, but she's in a wheelchair. So I wasn't sure about continuity there. Somebody actually asked me about it and I said, oh no, she can walk. So I'm not sure what the Secret Files are doing, what their purpose is and and when slash where they're occurring. But I did forget to mention that. Okay. Next up is anime watch list. I watched like binged it fruits basket season two has 25 episodes just i think 2019 japanese and then 2020 for the english dub and remember i feel like i said this before with season one but the english dub is the same cast as the original fruits basket and then fruits basket season three has just come out i think september 11th and i've been holding off sort of a delayed gratification but i'll definitely be speeding through that as well so a year has passed since Toru Honda began living in the Soma residence, and she has since created stronger relationships with its inhabitants, Shigure, Kyo, and Yuki. She also has grown closer to the rest of the Soma family and has become familiar with their ancestral secret, having helped them with many of their personal issues. The closer Toru gets, however, the more she begins to realize that their secret holds a darker truth than she first presumed. Summer is approaching and Toru is invited to spend her days with the Somas, mainly Kyo and Yuki. Toru wishes for an easygoing vacation, but her close relationships with the two boys and the rest of the Somas may prove to cause trouble. As they grow more intimate, their carefree time together is hindered by older hardships and feelings from the past that begin to resurface. The eternal banquet also dawns on the members of the Zodiac, and they must tend to their duties alongside the unnerving head of the family, Akito Soma. Terrible, terrible human being. Oh, and then you never know, completely androgynous character, but you feel like Akito is male because of how much they hate women but then there's a big bomb that's dropped near the end of season two that akito is actually female so now you're just like what sorts of issues are there that would cause this 
with the banquet approaching and a plethora of feelings to be solved, will Toru's life with the Somas remain peaceful or will she find herself in a situation from which she cannot escape? I really can't recommend enough that show. So, and I'm just so glad that they're doing, I guess, the whole anime, right? So season three, because Fruits Basket, the original one, which was probably back in like 2001 or something like that was only one season. So this is going far beyond that. So I'm excited. I, because you're asking though, I know you're not, I definitely ship uh, Kyo and Toru and I guess we'll see what happens there. And then my final segment is literature recommendations. I actually cannot remember what I last said. So Oh, I think it was If We Were Villains because I gave that five stars. Okay, so I read Clara or Clara, probably Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro. And let's read what the synopsis is because otherwise I may have trouble actually describing what's going on. From her place in the store, Clara, an artificial friend with outstanding observational qualities, watches carefully the behavior of those who come in to browse and of those who pass on the street outside. She remains hopeful that a customer will soon choose her, but when the possibility emerges that her circumstances may change forever, Clara is warned not to invest too much in the promises of humans. In Clara and the Sun, Kazuo Ishiguro looks at a rapidly changing modern world through the eyes of an unforgettable narrator to explore a fundamental question. What does it mean to love wow that um didn't really tell you much at all she does get purchased by this family she has this really close close relationship with this daughter and the daughter is sick and clara does all she can to help heal the daughter and she feels like the only way to do that is with the son so there are several missions and then better understanding this world lots of world building going on by ishiguro and Lots of quite, it's interesting having the POV from this artificial friend, this AF, because there are many things that from her perspective, this is what's happening. And from our perspective, we're like, well, what, what is actually going on? Like she talks about different boxes that she sees, and this is almost like cameras or other AIs that'll separate their vision into different boxes so they can zoom in on different things. I'm sure you've, we've all seen it in sci-fi stuff. So something like that, or talking about this particular machine that causes pollution, or there's a genetic remodeling that the daughter goes through. So some things that are not really cleared up because the AF, she's just kind of living her life and it's not necessarily explained to her. So it's not explained to us. So some uncomfort or discomfort, but it's, it's almost good because it's a change from being inundated with information and backstory and things like that. You just have to kind of figure out what's going on or sit in your discomfiture. Then I read The Air Affair, which is a Thursday next novel, the first one by Jasper Ford. And this is Great Britain, circa 1985. Time travel is routine. Cloning is a reality. Dodos are the resurrected pet of choice. And literature is taken very, very seriously. Baconians are trying to convince the world that Francis Bacon really wrote Shakespeare. There are riots between the surrealists and impressionists. And thousands of men are named John Milton, an homage to the real Milton and a very confusing situation for the police. 
amidst all this, Acheron Hades, third most wanted man in the world, steals the original manuscript of Martin Chuzzlewit by Charles Dickens and kills a minor character who then disappears from every volume of the novel ever printed. But that's just a prelude. Hades' real target is the beloved Jane Eyre, and it's not long before he plucks her from the pages of Bronte's novel. Enter Thursday next. She's the special operative's renowned literary detective, and she drives a Porsche. With the help of her uncle Mycroft's prose portal, Thursday enters the novel to rescue Jane Eyre from this heinous act of literary homicide. It's tricky business. All these interlopers running around Thornfield and deceptions run rampant as her paths cross with Jane, Rochester, and Mrs. Fairfax. Can Thursday save Jane Eyre and Bronte's masterpiece? And with the Crimean War, will it ever end? And what about those annoying black holes that pop up now and again, sucking things into the space-time void? I, I really like this. This is a lot of fun. It is really smart. There are so many literature or literary references that I would say several of them definitely flew over my head. Probably some that I knew were a reference, but didn't get it. And others that I probably just completely missed. But Jane Eyre, it's interesting because the original manuscript in this novel, Jane ends up going to India as a helpmate, not a not a married helpmate with Sinjin Rivers. And then by the end of this, we get it back to how it should be with her coming to Ferndean, basically, and marrying Rochester. But yeah, just really smart. And I actually just started today, the second novel. This was recommended by someone and because i love jane Eyre, and luckily it did not disappoint i also read god of war volume two fallen god by chris robertson and or roberson but probably robertson and tony parker and that wasn't as good so i don't necessarily recommend that silk volume one threats and menaces by maureen gu and takeshi miyazaki really liked that especially if you're a fan of cindy moon i recommend it and that was the most recent it's 2021 so don't think it's a different silk volume and then invisible woman partners in crime by mark wade and matia de Uis. and that was i would say that was okay spy it was completely different than what i would have expected an invisible woman novel or graphic novel to be it was yeah lots of espionage with sue and then someone from her past and a past mission i guess you could kind of say and yeah so that is what i am reading okay well Remember, you can send any questions or comments to backgirltheoracle at gmail.com. Find the show on Google Play and Stitcher. Really, I should change that. You can find the show anywhere. I've been actually listening to it kind of at work on Spotify because I've been going through all 200 and 200 plus episodes and writing down in an Excel document what music I used. So what a task to do, but that way I won't repeat music which I did in the past and it makes me sad when I'm going through this and I see that I repeated things. But anyways, there you go. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at Batgirl the Oracle. Subscribe to the show on YouTube for an uncut version, which you are viewing. Follow the Batman universe on Facebook and Twitter as well and support the Batman universe by subscribing to Patreon. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Batgirl the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And until next time, Fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon, masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. 
love a happy ending, don't you, 